Blog Talk Radio. Dr. Veronica Anderson is an MD, and for her that means many dimensions. She's a surgeon, a mother, a black belt, and a two-time marathon runner, here to talk to you about your health, your happiness, and your world. It's Wellness for the Real World with Dr. Veronica. Hey, everybody. How are you this week? We are going to continue my favorite absolute subject, except part of this subject is not my favorite subject. We're going to talk more about sex. And guess what? A few weeks back, I did a show on low libido in men. We talked all about it around it, and then women were hitting me up on Facebook and things like that. Saying, Why are you talking about men? How come you're not talking about women? I said, it's coming, it's coming. Back in June, I was at a pre, a filming, not a filming, but a showing of a documentary film, and I told you guys I was out in San Diego going to see Hot Flash Havoc. Well, guess what? We're going to talk about low libido in women. We're going to talk to the woman who actually put together this documentary and one of the physicians who spoke in this movie about menopause and low libido in women. But guess what? Low libido in women is not just in women who are menopausal. And so we want to try to figure this out. Now, I'm going to tell you an interesting story. Today I was around some friends, and I said, oh, i got to do my show tonight. They're going to make sure I'm sitting steady somewhere. I'm actually in Massachusetts, just dropped my son off for college, my second son. And I said, i got to get to do a show. And they said, well, what's your show on tonight? I said, low libido in women. The husband and wife were standing there. The husband said, I need to listen to that. The wife promptly left the room. (laughs) So this is a very touchy subject. This gets women of all ages. I have women on the show today who were affected by this in their 30s. And you would think that the way you watch on TV, if you're young and you're hot, excuse me, you feel like having sex all the time, guess what? It doesn't work that way. Then as you move on in life, your hormones change. For women, you know your hormones change during the month, and you feel like different things during the month. But your hormones change. Everybody's heard of the M word, menopause. Nobody wants to talk about it because it heralds that you're moving to a different phase in life. But guess what? When I went to this filming, what was really interesting to me is listening to all the women speak out about how grateful they were that this movie was there. But what I was even more surprised about is when husbands stood up and said, oh, my God, this is horrible in my life. What can I do? What can I do for my wife? What can I do? And it was all of a sudden like there was solidarity among the women in the room, the men in the room, the men spoke up, and all of a sudden we were having a conversation about something that's a phase in life and what we should do about this phase in life. Guess what, people? Sex happens throughout your whole life. We all know sex happens throughout your whole life, but after turn 30, everybody shuts up about it, okay? So what we need to do is continue to have this discussion about how to have good sex throughout life. Now, we talked about how to do that with men and what kind of things affect men, but guess what? This is a huge, huge problem in a lot of women, too, and so here we are today. We're going to talk about it. Now, I'm going to start with a woman who has had trauma and drama around low libido and has made it one of her ministries, her speaking out of abilities and everything to talk about these women's sexual issues. One thing she talks about a lot, I want everybody to know about this, we're going to do a breast show about women who have dense breasts and they get mammograms and the mammograms don't go through the dense breasts and they turn up with stage 4 breast cancer. That's a big ordeal. That's one thing she talks about. But the other thing she talks about is low libido in women, whether you really have a low libido or not, and what are all the causes of it. And she also sits on the board of the Institute for Sexual Medicine. Guess what? Your urologist and your OBGYN are not necessarily qualified to talk to you about your sexuality. They may teach you, talk to you about the mechanics of your organs, but about all the physical things, the hormonal things, everybody 
they just, they're plain run-of-the-mill urologists and obstetric gynecologists just don't do this well. And so we're going to teach you today how to go out and get help and even figure out if you need help. One thing that Russell and I all talked about, well, who defines whether or not you even have low libido or not? Do I define whether or not my libido is low or does my partner define whether or not I have a low libido. So let's get right into this discussion. Let me say hi to my co-host, Russell. Hi, Russell. Hello, Veronica. I think we got an interesting show today. I think so, too. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to, do you have any commentary you want to make about this? Although I don't know if you know, you know about the subject so much, given... Well. Your life, your your life choices. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, low libido women. Though I'm I'm certainly sympathetic. I mean, it's it's never become a big issue in my life. <laughs> but we, so, I mean, like Russell, go in and out. So what what oh. I want to do though now is I want to bring on our first guest, um, Kim Whittemore. Kim Winnemore has had a very interesting life that started almost when she turned 30, maybe even – it started actually earlier than that because these things tend to start when you're in the womb and you don't even know that they're happening. Uh, and so I'm going to bring on Kim, who we've become good friends through this low libido thing. <laughs> I've been out in California hanging out with her roommates, having fun. So, Kim, are you there? <laughs> Hey, Veronica, how are you? I'm good. So, Kim, I want you to give just a little bit, you know, quickly your background and what happened to you that has really just qualified you so much to talk about the low libido issue but also made you sit on boards and just cry from the mountaintops about this issue. Well, first I wanted to thank you and Russell for even addressing this issue because for me it was a humiliating process and it took me 21 years to find a doctor who really looked at me holistically and took me seriously. So thank you both for taking this on and taking this on on the show and I hope that women and men are listening and will learn something. But Basically, I found out on my 31st birthday that I was going through menopause, and I, I was absolutely stunned. I'd been married for three months, and my libido was normal. I was having a very infrequent period, and I didn't think anything about it. And in fact, I was kind of relieved because that was a hassle. And all of a sudden, I started waking up in these sweats, and I felt very emotional. I had difficulty swallowing, and I suddenly put on... Um, almost 10 pounds without any change in diet. So I went to my local doc and I described my symptoms and we just cracked up. I said, and we both said, wow, it sounds like you're going through menopause. We thought it was hilarious. Ran a bunch of blood tests and sure enough, um, I have, we all have a finite number of eggs and I was basically not ovulating anymore. And so, you know, big panic two years, leave of absence from my job, pursued a bunch of infertility treatments, and finally stopped all of that. It was kind of a lab rat. And and just had this complete cessation of libido. In fact, sex became incredibly painful. And, and again, I'm, I'm pretty much a newlywed here. And, and um, there was... Um, really intense pain. It wasn't just vaginal dryness. It, it was pain. And so it got to the point with my husband where I would cry when we had sex and I would cry when we didn't because we would fight about it. And um, I would go to, and I went to doctors all over the country because we moved quite frequently. And every time, it's hard enough to bring this subject up, especially if the doctor isn't comfortable so I'm seeing OBGYNs and I'm saying, look, something is really wrong with me. I, I'm still having hot flashes. I'm, I, I felt like I was going through menopause for 21 years. Uh, and I would describe all these symptoms. And to a doctor, what I was told was try KY as if this is a lubricant issue. Maybe we should adjust your hormone levels and your hormone replacement therapy and or you're lucky it's not breast or ovarian cancer to a doctor. 
So I finally got to the point where I gave up. I stopped asking. I stopped talking. My marriage was going down the crapper. Uh, you know, you can only give so many blowjobs, people, and it just doesn't, you know, it gets pretty boring after a while. So I, you know, kind of lost all. I had no desire whatsoever. And I want to come back. Well, I'll do that later, uh, you know, about the low libido, how you define it. How you define it to me is if you and your partner um, see a change, if, if there's a change in libido and it causes distress to one of you or the other of you, then that's something to talk about and address. So we would talk about it. I would go to the doctor. We would not get a satisfactory answer. And so neither one of us was happy. In fact, we were both miserable. Finally, a few years ago, and I'd pretty well given up and decided I would never have sex again. Um, this part of my life is over, and and I just don't really care, and I was just all about work and, uh, you know, other things. And I found a doctor of sexual medicine in San Diego. I had heard of him before, Dr. Erwin Goldstein, and I don't know what caused me to call him, but I something in me just said, pick up the phone. I called him. I was patient one or two. I went into his practice, and I had never seen anything like it. And I can tell you a little bit about that experience because the evaluation that he did of me was so comprehensive that this is the kind of thing that I think the listeners need to, you know, be asking about and having their doctor perform. So I, I can go through that if you like, or I can stop right now, but that kind of brings us to, to now. Yes. Now, what I want to do with you, Kim, is I want to have you continue to hold on because I would like to get in some doctors speak in here. We have some very learned doctors. I was just at an instant by the institution where one of these doctors comes from, so venerated Harvard. I was walking around there, although I see I went to Princeton, and so when I walk around Harvard, I have a little disdain, but we all know <laughs> that Harvard's a fabulous place, and I will allow it and admit it. And so I want to introduce another doctor. Um, Russell, do we have him on the line and we bring him in? Do. Yes, we do, Veronica. We have Alan Altman, Dr. Alan Altman on the line. Um, he's a speaker and the president of the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health, former professor at Harvard Medical School, and author of a book, Making Love the Way We Used to or Better. Dr. Alan Altman, welcome to Wellness for the Real World. Well, thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you, Dr. Altman. The first time I saw you was in the movie Hot Flash Havoc, so I'm so ah. delighted. I'm so <laughs> delighted to have you on the show. And what I would love you to do is just a bit talk to the women about, first of all, how do you find a doctor who is comfortable with their sexuality, not just their organs, not just going to put in the speculum and do this pap smear, but will really talk to them about it? We have women of all ages. I know Hot Flash Havoc was addressing just women going through menopause, but how do you find a doctor who's going to talk to you about your sexuality? And then just give us a little bit of background of the type of questions we should be asking so that we can get the right workup for what's going on in our life, in our sexual life? Well, I mean, you hit on the most important thing of all, and that's finding it's some sort of clinician, whether it be a doctor or a nurse practitioner, who has A, an interest, B, a training, and C, the time, and, and C is, is almost even more important uh, from the point of view of fact that most uh, obstetrician gynecologists or internists or primary care physicians or nurse practitioners don't have a whole lot of time to spend on this because the way things are structured uh, in the business of medicine, you know, if you take more than about 12 minutes to see a patient, uh, that's going to cause a problem income-wise. And the, the people who focus and have a special interest in sexual medicine, especially female sexual medicine, uh, are unique and the question is, how do you find somebody like this? One of the easier ways to do that is to go to the ISWISH website. This is the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health, I-S-S-W-S-H dot org. 
If you go there and you look under the section of find a provider, that's an easy first step uh, that you'll be able to find someone either in your area or someone who does phone consultations. There are a number of us, including myself, who do phone consultations around the country because these providers are few and far between, even though we are gradually training more and more of them. Now, once you are able to find a provider with this kind of interest and the time, then it's a question of um, do you, you know, what do you ask? What are the questions that you ask? And quite frankly, if you find a provider like this and you walk in and say, listen, I'm having a problem and it's upsetting me or my partner or both, you're not going to have to ask many questions because these kinds of trained clinicians will take it from there and guide you through the kind of questioning. But when you see a regular clinician such as a gynecologist, because after all, that's the the woman's general doctor well along into her life, um, it's very important to bring these things up. We, we can do things here. We can help patients. It's not all medicine. It's not all hormones. There are lots of things that are going on here, and women's sexuality is so far more complex than male sexuality that we've got to look at it from many, many different points of view. But if you walk in and, and bring it up uh, to even your regular practitioner, if they are uncomfortable, at least you've brought it up and you know then that you've got to go to the ISWISH website and find yourself an adequate sexual medicine provider. Okay. So now what I want you to do a bit for the audience is just run down some of the causes of low libido just because there's a lot of them and women are asking lots of questions. We all know about menopause. We think, okay, we have low estrogen, we have low testosterone, that's the end of the story, next. I know that's the wrong thing. Caress me, tell me some of the causes that you are finding in women for low libido. Well, again, they're multifaceted, and the first and easiest one to talk about has been caused by the fear that has been instilled in women for the last nine years about the hormone estrogen uh, because of the misrepresentation of that major study, which continues today. Uh, I think they've published now about 130 papers from that study. Um, Estrogen is responsible for the elasticity of the vaginal tissues. Estrogen is responsible for the blood flow to the actual tissues to maintain their healthfulness and their sexual capability. So around the time of perimenopause, as your patient has just explained, things can begin to change. Even in the 30s, uh, one doesn't have to wait till the 40s or 50s to have these kinds of changes occur. And as the estrogen levels fluctuate or diminish, uh, you diminish the blood flow to the vaginal tissues and they become what we call atrophy. They're, they're no longer elastic and stretchy uh, and they can cause uh, discomfort or real pain or actually inability to be able to have penetrative vaginal uh, intercourse, vaginal sex. Um, and the reason I bring up the WHI, that major study, is because women have been so frightened from estrogen uh, for almost a decade that they're frightened to use local vaginal estrogen, which isn't even systemic into your bloodstream. It just is, is for the vaginal tissues, which could help maintain the elasticity and a little bit of the blood flow, although taking estrogen through the skin and getting real good systemic levels are far better for that blood flow. But the, the point here is that um, with the fear that went along with this, we now have an epidemic of what we call vaginal dyspareunia or pain with sex uh, because women are so frightened of this. So the first and major cause that I see in my offices uh, is the fact that there is vaginal dryness leading to pain. When there's pain, who wants to have sex? When nobody wants to have sex, there you, you've lost your libido. You've lost your drive. There are 
other reasons of hormonally when women are perimenopausal in that transition before they stop having periods. Uh, they don't sleep well. They they have anxiety problems. Uh, not everybody, but you have enough going on that if you're that tired, also, who wants to have sex? That's going to impact your libido. Uh, you mentioned testosterone. Testosterone is a very important hormone for women. In fact, the ovaries make testosterone first, and that's how women make estrogen, the natural estrogen in the ovaries, from testosterone. But testosterone has other important factors, such as sexual drive, sexual responsiveness, bone health, energy level, mood changes. So testosterone can be important as well. But it's not just hormonal. There's so much stuff going on upstairs. What's going on in the relationship? Uh, what's going on with the power between the two people in this relationship? Uh, then you can get into, are we really a monogamous species? Uh, can we expect our sex drives to be solid and passionate, you know, for all the time that we're together? And one last thing to mention, which is extremely important, is that many women no longer have spontaneous sex drive, but they do indeed still have what we call responsive sex drive. Uh, for instance, a patient will come to my office and say, I have no sex drive. And my question will be, well, are you having some sort of sexual activity? Oh, yeah, I do, even though I don't want to, and I have no drive to, but I do. And the key question is, while you're engaged in this sexual activity with your partner, once you become aroused, do you then like what's happening? Oh, yeah, I do. Well, do you achieve some sort of satisfactory end or orgasm? Yeah, I do. Well, we tell those people you don't have a problem. What's happened here is that women can alter their phases of sexual responsiveness throughout their lives, uh, and they may go from spontaneous drive to responsive drive, meaning they have to be stimulated first or aroused first, and then they access their desire. So that's a little different as well. Interesting. Now, before I let you go, because I know you're a busy man and then you have to go off and give a lecture, one last thing you must tell the audience. The study that was done that has scared women, in a nutshell, tell the audience what is the major problem with that study and why they should not be in fear of taking hormone replacements. Well, there, there are plenty of problems with the study. The major one is that the data is there, but it was misrepresented to the public because they didn't divide the data into the women who are younger versus the women who are older. If you start the appropriate hormones at the appropriate time, which we believe is within seven to ten years of your final menstrual period, then you will have access to the protective effect, uh, which has been clearly shown uh, with respect to lowering your risk of heart attack and coronary artery disease, lowering your risk of dying from any cause at all by 30%. That's something we call total mortality. Uh, lowering your risk of new onset diabetes, osteoporosis and osteoporotic fracture. Uh, all of these things. And if you look at the entire population of the study, it's skewed towards the older patients and therefore that's why the results wound up being misrepresented as they were because they were given for everybody instead of isolating the younger women. So what's important for women to understand, number one, perimenopause starts in the 30. The average age of uh, menopause, the final menstrual period in this country, is uh, 51 years. The most women have their final period between 45 and 55. The symptoms that are involved with this can be treated with nothing better than the source of the problem, meaning replacing the estrogen that has been lost. Uh, we are very careful to demonstrate that uh, taking estrogen as a pill is not as safe as taking it through the skin or through the vagina. Uh, that's a long story that we don't have time for here. But it's very important that women talk with a clinician, uh, a provider who understands the drawbacks of this study and can point out, look at breast cancer just as the last thing. There was a big breast cancer scare from this study, but as it turns out, 
the women in this study who were on estrogen alone, meaning they didn't have a uterus, so they didn't need progesterone, on estrogen alone, had a statistically significant decreased risk of breast cancer. And the women on the combination pill that was used in this study had no statistically significant increased risk of breast cancer. That's incredibly good news for women, but that's been lost in this whole fear situation. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want people to listen carefully to what he just said, take into account, talk to your clinicians. And, Dr. Altman, if we want to get to you, it's Alan, A-L-A-N, Altman, A-L-T-M-A-N-M-D.com, Alan Altman, M-D.com. Dr. Altman, you do phone consultations. Can people get to you over the web also? Yes, they'll get my uh, my email address on that website for them who are listening. The email address is docA, like Dr. Altman, docA55 at AOL.com. And uh, we can arrange phone consultations. They're not for treatment. They're for education and information so they can go back to their clinician having spoken to someone who is specialized in sexual medicine and work with their local doctor or nurse practitioner from there. Fabulous. Dr. Altman, I thank you so much for being on Wellness for the Real World. Happy to help out, Veronica. Thank you. Thank you. Russell, our next guest. Wait, I'm I'm doing this intro. I'm doing this intro. Okay. We Go have it, on Brian. here we have on here this fabulous lady. Her name is Heidi Houston. She's the executive producer <laughs> of a movie called Hot Glass Havoc, a film of menopausal proportions. This is a documentary film that is fabulous, and I've actually shown it to some friends, and they said every woman needs to see this movie of all ages. This is a movie that shows the effects of what happens in menopause. In addition, it shows all ages of women. It actually shows the misrepresentation of the study with Dr. Altman speaking just like he did to you. He probably gave us more information than he gave in the movie, actually. Um, And also shows women before and after, the before menopause, after menopause, before hormones, after hormones. And it was just absolutely mind-boggling to see what our hormones are doing to us. And um, I'm in that range. I walk down the street. I'm saying, am I hot? Am I having a hot flash? I'm at that point in life. Am I, is it hot out or am I having a hot flash? It was hot summer, so I never could figure out what was going on. But who knows? So I'm going to introduce to the Wellness for the Real World, Heidi Houston. Heidi? Hi. Thanks, Veronica, for having me on. And Russell, you too, because men are a big part of this equation. So we really we're really happy to be here. And you know, hot flash well, having we by like the way, just, we are. Yeah, you are a big <laughs> part of that equation. But just just remember one thing. The movie is for women from thirty five years to eighty or ninety. The movie isn't just for women that are in their fifties and that's that's where we really have changed the equation. women don't understand that they become perimenopausal starting around thirty five. So those men are wa- who are with those women, they're watching them change and go, wait, this isn't the same woman I married, or things have changed, either you know, sex or in moods or in depression or something, and it might be happening in their late 30s and early 40s. It may be she's perimenopausal, and the movie kind of covers that perimenopause early on all the way through to what can happen into your 80s and 90s. So tell me just a little bit, Heidi, about what made you – do this documentary. I've never seen anything like this. I think that just every medical student should see this, every doctor should see this movie. That's how good and comprehensive I believe that it is. What made you do this documentary? Well, the first part that happened was that there was a doctor who put me into early menopause. I'm not going to go into how all that happened, but um, it put me into early menopause and and in doing so, I didn't know all the symptoms that I was having had anything to do with menopause. So my symptoms were um, things like joint pain, so bad I could barely walk in the morning, and hair loss and dry eyes and um, mood swings and depression. And so I wasn't having hot flashes, but I kept going from doctor to doctor, heart palpitations. And every time i go to a doctor, they would say, oh, let's put you on a pill. And I go, but wait a second, all this just started 
How can it just be you have to put me on a pill right now and I never had this before? And I didn't seem to get the answer. So for a period, you laugh at this, I was very persistent. Over a period of three years, six doctors and clinics and a lot of money, and I was very persistent. I didn't give up. And after my last clinic, and the doctor said, oh, I think we'll just put you on some flaxseed and black cohosh, I was appalled. And I ended up going to listen to a doctor speak here in the United States. And I, I sat there and I went, and she described symptoms and what was going on in women's lives and why doctors don't know anything. I went, oh, my God, there's my doctor. So I ran out. And I called her immediately, her office, and found out she was four and a half months out, went back into the lecture and went on to a cocktail party and and walked up to her and said, what you've just described, I said, you have no idea how this impacts my life. I said, so what is it you need? And she said, somebody needs to make a documentary. And I said, well, I'll make a documentary if you'll see me next week. And she kind of laughed and said, oh, I'm booked pretty far out. And at that moment, I had now started having hot flashes. I burst into a hot flash with water running down my face and arms. And she said, oh, dear, you're in distress. And I said, you have no idea. I'm firing people over the telephone. And she said, she said, okay, I'll see you next week. Now, I have to tell you, this was Dr. Elizabeth Fleet. And about a year later, a year and a half later, I'm in her office filming her for part of the movie. And she says, not for one second did I believe you were going to make this movie. And... I had decided that after I went to go see her, and she made such a change in my life, within two weeks, within within 48 hours, I felt like the woman I'd felt like four years before. Within two weeks, I had no joint pain. I had um, no depression. Uh, my, um, my mood swings had gone away. There were no hot flashes almost within 24 hours. So... With, when you see those massive changes, I went, oh, my God, it took me three years to find the answers, and not one single doctor even looked at me one time and said, perhaps we might want to look at your hormonal makeup, or let's see if there's something else going on in your life. It was always about treating one problem. And so I decided that if I didn't make this movie to get women out there to know that there's a lot of things going on and you have lots of choices and don't believe everything a doctor tells you but become your own healthcare advocate that that it wasn't worth what I just gone through. So this movie became has become a little bit of my baby you might say. Yes. Now one thing I think that doctors tend to do, women come in with all kinds of symptoms and sometimes they'll recognize that it is menopause and say, Oh well, you're going through menopause, no big deal, everybody has it happen, don't worry about it and it tends to be pushed to the back burner and people don't just take how seriously bad that women start feeling when these things happen. But the other thing but, that I really wasn't aware of was how early these changes started to happen. To say to somebody that, you know what, these are starting to happen in your mid-30s. And so little things are happening in your mid-30s made me say, should we be starting women on estrogen earlier? Have there been any studies about this? What, what, what is being done? Why are we not doing something sooner? Why are we waiting for women to want to kill everybody before we decide that we want to put them on hormones? I still don't know the answer to that question yet, but maybe you can well, comment well, actually, on some of the things you've learned. Uh, on that question, I would leave it to the doctors to say when a woman goes on to hormones, but I think each one of us is so different. And I think that's you're talking about low libido today, and I and so let me kind of bring that back into the picture here. I think that it's difficult to find what behaviors fall into the category of normal, and every woman is different. And so our different backgrounds, experiences, and our biological makeup each make us unique. And so, so, in, so when we look at sex drive and we look at um, do we need hormones or don't need hormones, I think it's unique to each person because we fluctuate. And sometimes it could just be, you know, you're married to the same guy for 35 years and that's it. Sorry, Russell, but I, know you're, I don't know how long you've been married or with or with somebody, but there, there you go. But sometimes it's more about that we have to take care of our parents, our children, we have to take care of our lives, we've got to pay our bills. And we don't have time to think about sex. So sometimes we have to make time to think about sex so we can change our sex drive. So even when we're in perimenopause or menopause and things are changing, we have to bring those things back into play. And then we go to the third part, which is 
maybe we have a hormonal makeup that's affecting us and maybe we need to look at our estrogen because we are dry and it hurts to have sex and our elasticity is going away or that maybe we want some more desire because we're not even thinking about sex but the doctor's not going to talk to you about that in 15 minutes. But then we need to say, well, maybe we need to look a little bit at the combination of estrogen and testosterone. So we have a lot of different options. You know, even they show, even if you exercise more, you have better sex drive. So it's not all about drugs. And that's, the movie's not all about drugs. The movie talks about all your different options. And I've got a great story for you. One of our case studies in the movie, this wonderful woman who spoke out about having no sex drive and thought she would have to live with it for the rest of her life, like many women do. Um, she calls me up after the movie, and she, she learned so much during the interview. She went out and found a menopause specialist, and she called me up about four months later, and she says, she says, here, I've gone six years, lost my boyfriend, don't want to have sex, lost my sex drive. I went out and found a doctor. I got it back. She says, I have a boyfriend. She calls me up three months later and says, you're not going to believe this. My boyfriend dumped me. And I said, why? And she says, I want to have too much sex. So the life can life can just keep changing. You never know. It can get better and better, and and you can keep going around and around. And our life doesn't have to stop. Sexuality goes until the end of our lives, and we have to realize what an impact that makes and how great it makes us feel as women, and not to give up on it. Wonderful. Now, if people want to, your film is available for purchase online. Is that so? It is, and and we do premieres across the country. I mean, if women want the film brought to their city with as an event with a panel, they should go online to hotflashhavoc.com, and they need to sign up for premieres. If they can't wait and they need to get the information, then they can also buy the DVD online, um, and it'll get shipped to them right away. So they have they have several options, and we work with hospitals, medical research groups, women's health organizations throughout the country and now throughout Canada. So we are traveling around the world. We get invited to many cities to come and do our events, and they're a lot of fun. You were at yes, the one well, in San Diego, right? San Diego, which, yeah. Which, and I hope that you're going to get out to the U.K. I have a large listening audience out in the U.K. too, so we need to we start. Are dying people to who are out there listening the from the U.K., Enter into go to Hot Flash Havoc. Heidi is willing, willing to come. So Heidi, I want to thank you so much for having the courage to speak out and make this movie. It's it's fabulous. I think everybody needs to see this. I think that this when, when we have the sex talk in elementary school, this is the movie that they need to show it to everybody. Um, well, it's you great. Know what, you know what? I think every every kid should see it. And you know, we just won the ASEC award for the entire United States, which is given to you by the doctors as the best audio visual for sexual health. So if you know it has one it has that perspective to it, we cover a lot of other issues and boy, come to our site, hotflashhavic.com and come visit us. And Veronica and Russell, thank you for having me. Thank you. I, I just want to tell everybody, this is a movie where it sounds like you're talking about something really serious. It's actually funny, a lot of it. So there's the serious parts of it where you can get educated, but there are parts of it. They just have women speaking throughout it that are funny, men saying things that are funny. They have kids Oh, yeah, watch out. Moms, moms, they have a hot flash or something. I mean, there's things in the movie that just everybody can relate to. Um, there's, some of them are, you know, more stereotypical. But these are people, these are real people in the movie being interviewed. And it's informative. It's comical. And I really, I'm happy it won awards. Go to hotflashhavoc.com. Try to have a premiere in your city or order the movie to see it and, you know, have a girlfriend's night and see it. It spurs interesting discussion. I showed it to some friends, and the next time I saw them, that's the, all they could talk to me about. I was like, enough, enough. I heard enough. It's a great movie. So I want to thank Heidi again. And now I want to get on to some other guests and talk about some of the things, continue our discussion about low libido. So, Russell, I'm going to let you jump in a second and introduce our next guest. Okay, our next guest happens to be Canada's leading sexpert. She is Maureen McGrath. She's an RN in reproductive and sexual health for over 20 years, and she hosts a regular radio show about sexual health in Canada. Maureen McGrath, we're glad to have you with us on Wellness for the Real World. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on today. Thank you, Maureen. So now you're you're up in Canada, our 
sister country. You're I doing am. this show talking about sexual health all the time. That's all you talk about. I feel like I talk about it all the time, but that's not the whole show. But this is the show yeah. that everybody <laughs> likes to talk about. The, the sex is like what everybody wants to talk about all the time, and it's so important to your wellness. What are you hearing when people are calling into your show about their sex and sexuality? What are women saying about this? Well, you know, I also have a private practice in North Vancouver, British Columbia, which I've had uh, been running for about eight years. We've been doing the radio show for about three years. So uh, this is a very important subject that I'm very passionate about, as are the listeners and a lot of my patients, because, as you say, it is extremely important to overall general health. So what I hear um, largely is uh, people want to know if they're normal, number one. So education is key, raising awareness, having people understand what the reproductive life cycle actually is for women, how it changes through life between childbirth, perimenopause, menopause, life circumstances, different situations, vaginal atrophy, a little-known condition that uh, affects about 75% of postmenopausal women, whereby only 5% are treated. Um, I'm talking about that continuously. I also talk about bladder and bowel issues because, because of the decreased estrogen levels that occur with perimenopause and menopause, women can actually have bladder symptoms like urgency and frequency. There's a number of symptoms that go along uh, with vaginal atrophy that do affect desire, like postcoital bleeding, for example, uh, dryness, dyspareunia, or painful intercourse. Um, also, their life situations. We're busy today. There's a recession. We often have two people working in the family if we're fortunate, uh, if they are fortunate to have that. So they're busy, they're tired at the end of the day, and that's the number one complaint that I see. So it's a very vast subject. It's an important subject. But when, once women and men are educated on the subject, you know, it's a time we can uh, move forward and things can improve for all concerned. Beautiful. We also have lots of medications. Medication side you, effects can also impact desire as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, and in particular, the antidepressants. Go ahead. You know, and, and in, in particular, the antidepressants, um, which, you know, we've got, you know, about 50% of people at one time or another will take an antidepressant medication, which is also why self-care, which is another passion of mine, is really important. And so that is exercising, eating well, eating a nutritious, uh, low-fat, you know, low-sugar uh, diet, maybe something along with the American Dietetic Association. Also, getting appropriate sleep. You know, sleep is so important, especially as it relates to anxiety and depression. So living healthily uh, can actually improve your sex life indirectly. Beautiful. Yeah, see, these are things that I like to preach to people, but I always like to bring on experts who will preach it instead of me saying it so people won't feel like that I'm lecturing and preaching to them. So I have other people like you come on and tell people this. So I want to just recap for a second for the audience one thing. I tell my audience the same thing all the time. The answer to everything is the same. You have to keep yourself healthy and well. You have to keep yourself healthy and well. The strategies for doing that tend to be the same answer. I read pretty much every day research studies about how to stay well, and the answer always comes to be the same. So there's no way around that. Now, however... Although the answer tends to be the same, keep yourself healthy and well, exercise, eat the way you're supposed to be eating, and if you don't know how to do that, there's so many people out there. I don't, I don't talk about it a whole lot because I think everybody talks about it all day, every day, and I'm tired of hearing it, okay? That's, uh, I'll let Mrs. Obama talk about it, and that's fine because it's not hard to figure out those type of strategies. you just got to do it. So people, the answer is the same all of the time. Now, if, but here's the other thing. You're going to move through different phases of life. And menopause is one of the phases of life that if we're all blessed enough to get old enough, we will go through it. And so we need to start talking about it. We need to start admitting that it's there and it's happening and figure out strategies for going through that part of our life and doing it in a helpful way. And women need to advocate for ourselves. We need to have our men advocating for it also. And that's what I loved about looking at the hot flash habit people. The men were also saying, this is a big deal to me um, because you don't want women killing everybody all the time because when you are going through these symptoms, you feel miserable. So what Maureen is saying, what she says on her show, I'm sure what she's doing in her practice is telling people, here's how you stay healthy and well, but here's how we're going to help you get through life changes. 
there are different strategies for getting through these life changes. Some of them are um, some of them require prescriptions. Some of them require lifestyle choices and changes. Others, there are some natural things that may work to help you also. So at this point in time, now, Maureen, if we want to hear you or get to you, how can we do that? Um, well, I have a website, uh, www.yoursexualhealth.ca, and also I'm on Twitter, at Your Sexuality, and I'm on CKNW 980 uh, AM month, uh, each regular time slot, which has been Thursdays at 2 p.m., uh, which may change for the fall. But, um, but, but uh, yes, there's lots of conservative uh, management strategies women can use. And one I want to mention is um, a personal moisturizer. Um, which is a water-based moisturizer used twice a week. Actually, it's inserted into the vagina at nighttime, um, and it can actually help women to feel much better because once the estrogen receptors drop and the dryness begins or the urgency or the burning of frequency begins, it's actually really uncomfortable for women. It's very uncomfortable. They're very surprised that this has happened. They all think that it's cancer. Um, so that's one way, and especially for women who have had a history of breast cancer and who um, who's have been advised not to take any estrogen or, or are nervous about taking estrogen, replens can be certainly be a comfort measure um, for them. I liken it to um, the song, um, You Don't Know What You've Got Till It's Gone, you know, when I'm talking about vaginal atrophy. You know, women walk around, you know, to 20s and their 30s, and they don't really think about their vaginal health, but it's really important. And all of a sudden, their vaginal health um, goes off or, you know, doesn't feel the same or they're having lots of problems with their bladder or, or painful intercourse, and all of a sudden, they, you know, it frightens them, it's scary, they don't know what to do, and then they learn that this is a lifelong condition. It's actually a chronic condition, and the treatment needs to be lifelong, so they need to take it always. And a lot of people take their medication until it helps them, and then they stop. So this is not the case in this uh, particular condition. Ah, it's true. Okay, so women... Maureen has put the word out for what you need to do. You need to tend to your vaginal health as much as you tend to everything else. And so when you're doing that mask at night, that facial wash, get your personal lubricant, put some of that in, that should go personal with your Personal moisturizer, sorry, not to correct you, <laughs> but personal moisturizer. Lubricant is for during... Uh, I'm sorry, yeah. personal lubricant, wait, moisturizer. Personal <laughs> moisturizer. <laughs> your moisturizer on your face and your moisturizer in your vagina. <laughs> Moisturize everything. Moisturize everything. So that's exactly right. Now you've got it, girlfriend. And also, your pelvic floor exercises are incredibly important for libido, for health, for bladder health. So do your Kegel exercises properly. Have a proper training of it. And if you'd like me to explain how that happens, I will. <laughs> how that well, is, I will. Not, we won't talk about the Kegel exercises right now. But, you know, <laughs> let me just tell people, when you start and stop urination, that's akin to a Kegel exercise. So pretend you're starting and stopping urination and you're doing like a Kegel exercise. So I want to thank you, Maureen. I want to get to our next guest who's going to give us some more strategies to deal with our libidos. Women, I hope you're learning something on the show. And men, I hope you're learning something too. So, Russell, let me have you introduce our next guest, please. Yes, our next guest calls herself the Natural MD. She is Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Sarah Gottfried. She practices integrative medicine for women in Berkeley, California, and is the author of the forthcoming book uh, on Simon & Schuster called The Hormone Cure. Dr. Gottfried, welcome to Wellness for the Real World. Hi there. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Um, goodness, I think we've lost our, our host, Dr. Veronica. I guess you're going to have to listen to me talk about this kind of vagina and low libido stuff. Oh, well, well we Sarah, can jump in and get started. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Sarah, you have, I believe, um, you, I believe you mentioned you have a four-point approach to approaching a woman with low libido. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. You know, I'm a I'm a board-certified gynecologist, and I really believe that women have had the issue of low libido dismissed for way too long, and we need to change that. So what I do is I use proven and totally safe approaches when it comes to a condition like low libido. 
What I find in my practice is that low sex drive is the number one issue that women bring to me. Number two is stress, which is connected to low sex drive, but number one is low sex drive. And the way that I approach it is this system that I've developed over time that includes the first step, which is to look at your nutrition and your lifestyle and what can be adjusted to help with you with your hormonal balance. The second step is to use herbs and botanicals, such as maca. Maca is also known as Peruvian ginseng, and it's been shown to really help with both low sex drive and also with mood issues like anxiety and depression. The third is to use glandular therapies, such as if you have a thyroid problem or an adrenal problem, and that's the reason for your low sex drive. And then the fourth is to use bioidentical hormones if they're needed. Uh-huh. Now, I believe we have Veronica back with us. Um, I was telling yes, Sarah earlier <laughs> that uh, Veronica has a bit of a history with maca. I remember ah, spending yes. half with her in Peru chasing down maca. Yes, yes, we were in Peru chasing down maca because they call it the natural Viagra. And so we were in Peru running all over the place saying we got to bring back some maca and uh, worked with a Peruvian chef that actually talked about his mother who insisted that every day she must have her maca. And it seems like when I started reading about maca, it's like the wonder herb. It seems like it does everything and makes everybody feel good. So maca is one of those things that it, it's a root if people are interested in using it. You can find it in Whole Foods and places like that. But if you ever travel to Peru, you can go get it in powder mixes and things like that very inexpensively. It tends to be rather expensive here. Um, but uh, uh, um, here I am. I'm back. My call dropped. You know, you have some technical difficulties sometimes, but here we are. Now, Dr. Um, Gottfried, you say that 70% of low libido in women is hormonal imbalance. Tell us a little bit about those imbalances that you're finding. Sure, sure. Well, what I love about the fact that 70% of low sex drive is hormonal is that it gives women a lot of hope, and it gives a way to approach the issue that they have. So here are some of the conditions, the three most common hormonal imbalances that I see. Number one is estrogen dominance. You talked about this a little bit earlier about women who, uh, you know, how we don't want to wait until women want to kill somebody before we actually help them with their hormones, and that wanting to kill somebody often is your estrogen being out of whack. And what's true about estrogen is that it's not quite as simple as it being too low. It can also be too high. It can be out of balance with progesterone. And estrogen and progesterone are kind of like tango partners. You want the two of them to be in exquisite balance for you to feel like your libido is at its best. So that's the number one issue, estrogen dominance. Number two is adrenal problems. So that means either not making enough cortisol or not making or making too much. So as with all of these hormones, you want to be in your sweet spot, not too much, not too little. And then the third issue is thyroid problems. So a lot of women don't realize this, but when you have an issue with your thyroid, even if it's mildly off, that can lead to fatigue, weight gain, issues with body image, and then low sex drive. Okay, so now what I what I want to do is I want to talk about some of the – we talked a little bit about maca, but some of the other – um, natural choices that people can use. A lot of people say, oh, black cohosh, and I'm trying to the other one I'm blanking on now. Are there strategies that we can use that are not using an estrogen patch or something like that that are going to help as well as if you are using an estrogen patch or a vaginal cream? Sure, sure. Well, what I love about maca, I mean, I, I love your story about searching down maca the, the natural Viagra in Peru because it was actually proven in a randomized trial to actually help women with low sex drive. And I think that's such an important standard to have in terms of using a therapy that helps you with a hormonal imbalance. So that's my gold standard is that we have randomized trials to support that whatever I recommend is actually proven to be effective in women. We don't have that kind of standard with some of the other herbs that are out there. So like black cohosh, it's not been proven to help with sex drive. It does seem to help in some women with hot flashes, 
but it doesn't seem to help with sex drive in randomized trials. But we have some of these other things. So if we go back to the root causes, like if we take on the issue of estrogen dominance, and just to simplify it, why don't we say, okay, you've got a 35-year-old woman who's got low progesterone. Her ovaries are starting to sputter a little bit. One of the things that's been shown to help her is to give her an herb called Chase Tree Vitex. And that herb has been shown time and time again in randomized trials to help with low progesterone. It helps to get your cycle more regular. It helps with PMS. It helps with other symptoms of estrogen dominance. Another herb that's similar to maca that's been shown to help with energy and with cortisol, which is another root cause of low sex drive, is ashwagandha. And that is an herb that comes from the Ayurvedic tradition. And what I like about it is that it helps with keeping your cortisol in your sweet spot, not too high, not too low. Very, very, very cool. Um, so now let me just ask, for women who are postmenopausal, is there something that you can give um, that really is going to replace the estrogen? And also just a, a bit about the bioidentical hormones. Everybody talks about bioidentical hormones, blah, 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 blah. Say something about the bioidentical hormones and if there is something that you can use that's really going to replace it, yes or no? Well, I do think the answer is yes. I, my, the reason why I use this four-step approach is that I find that by the time you get to step four, which is bioidentical hormones, often you don't need as much. You don't need, as, you don't need higher doses to get the results you want, in this case, helping with libido. So for a woman who's menopausal, what are some of the other options besides estrogen? There's a couple. One is to increase flax seeds in your diet. That's been shown to increase estrogen levels. Two tablespoons a day has been shown to help with estrogen levels. Another lifestyle thing that you can do is something called orgasmic meditation. I don't know how much we can talk about that on your radio show, Dr. Veronica, but it's a really interesting practice that has been shown to raise estrogen levels in women after menopause. And it's, it's related to the female orgasm and stroking and a bit of other things. And we can talk about that more if you want to. But if we ah. go to <laughs> – maybe Wish another I show on that. Time. Oh, my God, we got a few minutes left. And I'm like, how come you waited so long to mention that? Go ahead. <laughs> when, it, when it comes to bioidentical hormones, the ones that seem to really help with low libido are, number one, getting your estrogen where it needs to be. So that often means not – putting a full-dose patch on, but sometimes it's just a little bit of estrogen to help stabilize your level so that you're not wildly fluctuating, which is one of the things that happens for women in their 40s. So sometimes a low-dose patch, like in the range of 0.025 or 0.0375, can really make a big difference, and that's bioidentical. Another thing that is helpful is to use androgens. This is like a whole other topic, and I know we're almost out of time, but testosterone definitely is involved with libido, and there's some ways of raising it naturally, such as with exercise and with what you eat. But there's, um, for women who have a really low testosterone level, like especially after having your ovaries removed, sometimes a small dose of testosterone can really do the trick with low libido. Okay, so just a couple things as we're getting right down to the last minute. Mention a couple things that we can eat to raise our testosterone levels. Well, number one is that you get sufficient protein. I find for a lot of women that they're not getting enough. They tend to like carbs. They eat more carbs. They're not getting the, the amount that they need for their lean body mass. So protein definitely helps you with testosterone. Fabulous. So people up. Eat, eat protein. Um, I don't know what we're going to tell the vegetarian vegans out there. Well, they can, they I don't can know. still raise their protein. Still with vegetarian sources of protein, they can still, you know, the so beans and um, whole soy foods for the vegetarians, those are really good choices. Quinoa oh. is a really good choice. <laughs> Okay, it's just like you mentioned the soy thing, and we don't have time to talk about that. But I want to thank you, Dr. Sarah. Sarah got 
Speed.com is where you can find her. This has been a just extremely informative show. I want to thank all of our guests. I want to thank everybody, including Kim who Kim Whittemore, who shared her story, Heidi Houston for making the Hot Flash Havoc movie, Dr. Altman, who was in the Hot Flash Havoc movie, coming and talking to us about it, um, to being on Wellness for the Real World. I hope you guys learned something about some things that you can do. So I want to encourage you also, get involved with me with social media. Follow me, Dr. Veronica Anderson, on Facebook, on Twitter, Dr. Veronica IMD. This is Social Media Medicine. Now, you have probably learned more about your libido than you ever knew in your life and you will ever learn again. Right here, over the Internet, wellness for the real world. Join us next week again. You know we're always going to have an exciting topic, domestic violence. Women against men is what we're going to talk about. Thank you, wellness for the real world.